Hello and welcome to the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm Andy Viano. This week, I'll be joined by our managing editor, Myers Reese, to talk about the story he wrote last week on one of the saddest realities of the COVID-19 pandemic and our inability to contain community spread. His piece from the November 18th Beacon, The Fight Against Isolation, investigates the mental and physical toll the novel coronavirus has taken and continues to take on senior citizens and the way some community organizations are trying to help. This week's Beacon is our annual holiday gift guide. So if you're getting set to do your holiday shopping this weekend and want some inspiration from some great local businesses, you can check that out on newsstands or on our website, flatheadbeacon.com. Before I bring Myers on, a reminder that this episode and all of the content we produce at the Flathead Beacon is made possible in part by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Club members pay as little as $5 per month to support our work and are eligible for some one-of-a-kind bonus perks, too. To learn more or sign up today, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. All right, remember to stick around to the end of this episode for a quick recap of the biggest local news stories from the last seven days. But now, here's my conversation with managing editor Myers Reese. So, Myers, we're going to talk about your piece, The Fight Against Isolation, not from this week's Flathead Beacon, but from one week ago, where you had a chance to talk with some of the folks who deal with Flathead's elderly community and some of the folks who are, are part of that community as they deal with the COVID-19 pandemic and, and all of the things that come with that for people in, in that specific situation. But I, I guess to start, where did the, the idea for this story come from? How did you get onto the, the, this thread that, uh, that you ended up pulling on? Actually, it started with, um, I received a press release from Flathead Agency on Aging's Meals on Wheels program, and they were putting out a call for volunteer drivers, and they mentioned that demand for their services was, was increasing quite a bit. They're adding new delivery routes. So that was what first alerted me to it. And I followed up on that. And then from there, it just kind of grew. The more people I talked to, you heard this theme of, you know, isolation and I'm just trying to guard against that. How do you balance seniors out in the community, independent seniors, not necessarily folks that you hear about a lot at nursing homes or assisted living places. These are seniors living out in the community and how do you balance their safety and also, you know, their desire to, like all of us, be socially active, you know, have some of the routine stay intact. Yeah. So it it was, it was interesting to talk to both the service provider sides and also uh, talk to a a number of folks who are attending these, you know, activities that are, that are still going on in the community, but very much limited. From the seniors that you were able to speak with, what is their level of concern, I guess, to start with, with the virus? How, how seriously are they taking the threat of, uh, of catching COVID-19? Right. So, you know, I think it's representative of the community, the country at large. There's a broad spectrum of reactions. You know, some folks who aren't as concerned, but there are, there's probably a higher percentage of older adults who are lean more towards the very concerned 
on the side, which is understandable. They're the most vulnerable population to severe complications of the disease and you know, represent a disproportionate percentage of the overall deaths from COVID-19. You, you even see it in, you know, when I was speaking to you know, these service providers, including ones that are still holding social activities, you know, the Kalispell Senior Center direct, her president, Jerry Backus, said she estimated about about half of the people who um, attended events at the Kalispell Senior Center pre-COVID, um, about half of them were still coming to some of them, and about half of them were, quote, waiting things out. So gives you an idea. There's kind of this split between people really sheltering in place and not, not heading out at all, and then other, other folks trying to you know, maintain at least a semblance of those existing social networks and activities. Are you seeing or are they seeing in the senior community some of the COVID fatigue as well? Like, I wonder if those numbers have the number of people who are, are going out now are higher than, say, the number of seniors who are going out in, in March and April. Yeah, I think that would be safe to say. And although it does fluctuate, you know, when we have a surge like now, we're seeing more folks now deciding to shelter in place for at least limit their their outings um, more than maybe even two months ago. But in the big picture, yes, I, I think no matter your age, it's there's maybe some pandemic fatigue setting in. And Lisa Shepard, with the director of the Agency on Aging, did talk about that. Not just fatigue from, you know, tired of being pent up or, or whatever, but also just really missing, you know, on a very human level, missing their loved ones, missing people. And some of them kind of taking that, whether you want to call it a calculated risk or whatever you want to call it, but deciding, hey, I, I'm just going to, you know, I want to go see my, my daughter or I want to go see my grandkids. I'm going to do it where maybe they, they hadn't been for months. In those cases where people are feeling particularly strongly the effects of, of isolation, the, the depression or, or uh, other feelings that can come with that, are there recommendations that, that some of these, these advocates and folks who work with seniors have other than get out in the community and, and take that calculated risk? I mean, you know, there are the, the usual options available to anyone that follow public health guidelines, which are if you're going to to have groups that you interact with, keep them small. So in, in the case of some seniors, that may, maybe it's just the immediate family. But, you know, even with that, you're making the decision when you, if you want to interact with your grandkids, you're opening, opening that door to exposure. So I don't know if there is. There's not a simple good answer, and that's and well, they're all navigating, you know, they don't want to advocate for seniors to put themselves at risk, but they also know that there are going to be folks who, who want to have social outlets, want to have options for activities, and they want to try to provide those at least, you know, as much as possible in a safe, um, in a safe manner. Yeah. And, and I know there's, there's a, a bit in your story, you know, we're, we're all sick of having Zoom hangouts with, the, with our friends and family, but, you know, that is a, a particularly challenging thing for, 
for some seniors I know. And, and so, you know, as they try and, and, and navigate that, I mean, what, what are the other activities that some of these places are offering? What, what sort of get togethers are, are we talking about? Well, first, just to jump off what you were saying, Zoom and phone calls, you know, for all of us, it's, it's not as satisfying as the real thing. But with seniors, you more frequently even run into issues like technology literacy, just understanding the platforms. And, you know, so that that's also a contributing factor in, in, in their social interactions. But as far as some of these activities, like the Kalispell Senior Center, very pared down compared to what they used to. And at the very beginning of the pandemic, they just shut everything down. And then during the phase two of the governor's reopening plan, they slowly started reintegrating activities. And a lot of them were, were very, you know, were outdoors. They did dance classes in the Elks, Elks Lodge parking lot, which I guess would, would attract uh, honks and people waving as they drove by. And then now they have, they still have the actual doors to the senior center closed. It's not just walk in. It's not um, operating as it was, but they have they have activities in some capacity five days a week. They have some dance classes with aerobics, um, socially distanced, and um, they have arts and crafts. But the number of people they can welcome is very limited because they can't just have a full house. And I thought one of the the more interesting things in your story was you you write about how activities like that and how any kind of of social interaction you know there's the obvious I think to most folks mental benefits but there are some actual physical benefits to not even doing a thing like dancing and doing aerobics but just getting together and and seeing other people right right yeah and that wasn't fully on my radar either. But a, a few people mentioned to me how upon seeing folks, especially you know, people in their 80s, 90s, um, after a long time of isolation, as they return to activities and return to limited socializing, people notice that they're, in some cases, even their, their cognitive functioning had slowed. They were having trouble remembering things. You know, and this is just from you know, a few months earlier, they'd seen that, that decline. And then even just you know, sense of balance and just physical activity as well, even if it's not a whole lot, but it is something, it really, you know, it, it can have multiplier effects. If folks uh, have read this story or hear this interview now and, and want to know what they can do to contribute, to try and help some of these folks, I know you said you had started on this story with Meals on Wheels looking for additional Drivers, I mean, what what can the community do to to help take care of these folks? Is it it doesn't appear there's a there's an end in sight at least right now for the pandemic? Right. Well, everything from Flathead Agency on Aging to My Glacier Village to the Kalispell Senior Center, they're all volunteer driven. So contacting those places and volunteering that's that's an obvious way that that people from the community can help. And then. I do know, I don't know exactly how, how the donation process works, but like Meals on Wheels, for instance, the Flathead Agency on Aging is funded in multiple ways, county, state, federal, but the Meals on Wheels program, it also 
it, it accepts donations. And sometimes that's from the meal recipients themselves. Nobody's turned away if, if they qualify for the program, but they're welcome to donate. And then I, it's my understanding that, you know, folks can, who aren't participating in the program can also donate. And that could be a, a big thing for them because they did mention in, in my story how with increased demand and more people sheltering in place, the dining room closed down, that the budget's already getting pretty tight. And they're also anticipating because of the revenue shortfalls at the state level, perhaps some cuts on the horizon. And, you know, this demand isn't going away anytime soon. So things are getting a little tight over at the Agency on Aging's Meals on Wheels program. And the Agency on Aging in general, it's, it's kind of the cornerstone um, service provider for older adults in the whole region. Well, Myers, it's a great story on a, on a very interesting and important subject, and I appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk about it here. All right. Thank you. Many thanks once again to Myers for chatting about his story, The Fight Against Isolation, that I urge all of you to find and read on our website, flatheadbeacon.com, and I'll put a direct link to that story in the show notes for this episode. Now, here are the biggest stories from the last seven days as of 9 p.m. on Tuesday, November 24th. Flathead County recorded more than 1,000 new cases of COVID-19 between November 14th and 20th, the largest seven-day total since the beginning of the pandemic, and a staggering number when put into context. It took 184 days, more than six full months, for Flathead County to report its first 1,000 cases of the coronavirus, and the pace of new infections since the day we reached 1,000, September 19th, has rocketed upward. As of this recording, more than 6,700 county residents have had the virus, and at least 1,500 of those cases are active right now, sending thousands more people into quarantine as the Thanksgiving holiday approaches. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Governor Steve Bullock, and the Flathead City-County Health Department all have urged everyone to avoid even moderately-sized gatherings, with the CDC going so far as to recommend Americans celebrate Thanksgiving at home. Here in Flathead County, the Health Department this week announced it would no longer sanction events of larger than 25 people, a move that is, however, largely symbolic since organizers are not required to submit plans to the department, something that is strongly recommended, and other county officials have refused to enact any enforceable restrictions on event sizes. At least 30 Flathead County residents have died from COVID-19, including six residents of the Brendan House, a long-term care facility operated by Kalispell Regional Healthcare, currently in the midst of a widespread outbreak. In other news, Montana Republicans caucused in Helena last week to choose new leadership for the upcoming legislative session, and longtime Kalispell senator and businessman Mark Blaisdell was elected Senate president, replacing the term-limited Scott Sales. Blaisdell was the only candidate nominated for the role and said his party has a, quote, incredible mandate now that it controls both legislative bodies and the governorship. Martinsdale Representative Wiley Galt was elected Speaker of the House at an in-person event where few attendees were wearing masks. 
Closer to home, two young children were killed in a fire at a residential trailer in Kalispell just after midnight on November 18th. Two-year-old Deanna Bass and three-year-old Riker Bass perished in the blaze, which fire investigators say was started accidentally. A third person inside the trailer was also hospitalized with critical injuries. No cause of the fire has been determined, and the investigation is ongoing. And finally, the 30-year-old Columbia Falls man who dragged a granite slab engraved with the Ten Commandments onto Main Street in Kalispell this summer has been found guilty of felony criminal mischief. Anthony Weimer was convicted via bench trial on Monday and faces up to 10 years in prison and a fine of up to $50,000. Weimer chained the Ten Commandments to the back of his truck and dragged the heavy slab from the old courthouse to the road in front of the new courthouse downtown. Weimer admitted he pulled down the monument in court, but his lawyer argued that he did so because the sometimes controversial display was a, quote, public nuisance, an argument Judge Amy Eddy dismissed as irrelevant. That's our show for this week. If you're enjoying it, leave us a rating, a review, and be sure to subscribe to the Flathead Beacon podcast on your podcast app of choice. And don't forget, you can read more on all the stories we talked about today for free at flatheadbeacon.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.